Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports' daily NFL podcast. I am Will Brinson. I am your host of the show. We're excited. We've got a great show today. As we, It's always a great show. It's a great show every single day, except maybe like Monday. Monday was not great. But most every day, it's a great show. Uh, let's get to – we're going to have uh, Lance Zierlein from NFL Media, Houston uh, – Texas, it does Houston radio. Lance is a, a friend of the program, an awesome dude, does killer work for the draft. And, uh, he, we talked, so we'll, we'll get in the news, we'll get to the Patriots Texan stuff, but Lance and I talked and he has some awesome insight into what's going on to Houston. I highly recommend that you listen to this episode like you would every episode. Um, and we'll get to that in a minute. Gonna hit some, uh, show notes and then we'll, uh, talk about some news and we'll get to Lance. We uh, asked on, today is Thursday, we asked on Wednesday's pod for people to submit questions for a mailbag podcast that we're going to run on Monday with the super friends, me, Sean, Ryan, and Breach. And basically, you can ask us anything. It's uh, hashtag pick six AMA, somebody came up with on Twitter. Um, if you think you want to know who would win a street ball between us, street brawl between us, um, who's the best basketball player? Uh, who's the most, you know, like, who, will the Patriots, who's the next, the next Patriots team? Somebody asked. We'll, we'll answer all these questions and there's a decent chance we'll start doing this more regularly. The best way you can leave a question and I guarantee it will be answered on this upcoming show. Go to iTunes, leave a five star review, drop your question there. We've got a bunch on there already. Really appreciate it. Uh, you can tweet me, you can email me if you prefer doing that. It's cool. Um, and we will try to get to as many questions as we can. I think we've got enough where if we wanted to do one show Monday, the 17th, uh, I'm going to be out on vacation that week with my in-laws. Um, and then maybe even the Monday after we'll just record these, these mailbag shows and we'll talk about the news of the day and whatnot, but, but we'll get the mailbags out there. Um, I, th- I think the questions are, are good and they're entertaining and you can ask us fantasy questions like who should you keep? Who should you draft in a rookie draft? You know, any, anything like that is fine. Um, but just put put it on iTunes. Five star review or uh, tweet me at Will Brinson. DM me is probably better. I'll see that more easily than a reply just because of the way that I use Twitter. And uh email willbrinson at gmail.com. I know people have been talking about the uh the intro music for the for the podcast. So the St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup on, on Tuesday night. I really want I kind of just want to use Laura Brannigan's Gloria as the, our intro music. I think it'd be a really good podcast intro music. Fish, by the way, band I like. Not everybody likes, but I love them. Uh, they covered Gloria to open the second set. If you don't know what Gloria is, it's not Van Morrison's Gloria. It's Laura Brannigan's Gloria. got to go online and check it out it's like if you haven't seen the 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 video it's from 1982 like the first one you'll find if you if you search for it is uh like vh1's top 10 that they're airing and like this is what music videos were in 1982 i wasn't alive but i mean i've watched enough of them i mean i, I wasn't alive excuse me i was one years old but I, I wasn't watching vh1 um it's like she's on a stage on like a three platform stage like with a disco ball behind her singing the song with a wireless microphone that and like that's all the video was. I mean, it's 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 hilarious. Just think about where where these videos started and how they ended up going. Um, anyway, feel free to tweet at uh at ekcbs if you want him to uh let us use Laura Brannigan's Gloria as our new intro music for this podcast. I kind of think something funky like that, nice energy, might be better than what we got going. So we'll we'll look into that. Um, in the meantime, let's talk about. Uh, two big pieces of news. So the Raiders are on hard knocks. I mean, I guess that's not a big piece of news, but it is really important because hard knocks is a thing that we watch over the course of a month and it sort of, you know, gets you ready for the season. Training camp's going on. The preseason's happening. It's awesomely done by uh, NFL films and, and HBO. If you don't watch it, what do you, how could you listen to a daily NFL podcast and not watch that? I don't know. Um, 
But the Raiders make perfect sense, right? They're the, they're the team that should be on there. They have Antonio Brown, super combustible, diva who loves attention, John Gruden who won't stop talking about how much he hates attention. The money had football booth for like seven years, dude. Maybe it, was, maybe it was like 13 years. I don't remember. Um, whatever it was, he was in there forever. John Gruden loves attention. He loves being the splashy guy. You know, like, making some noise. You know, just a casual dude hanging out at Hooters with a Corona. Well, yeah. I mean, like, John Gruden loves attention. And he's going to love being on Hard Knocks. Um, they they signed Richie Incognito. They got uh, Vontez Perfect. I mean, this is a... Like Derek Carr is going to be excited. We get to watch who, like, who's he going to block? He's going to block millions of journalists over the course of four weeks on Hard Knocks as they're criticizing him for something inane. And God only knows what his brothers will do. Um, so that, that's exciting. I, they, I said on Twitter, and I really thought, maybe I said this on the show, I really thought they would do a pivot to the Redskins and save the Raiders for next year when they went to Vegas. That to me just made more sense from a let's roll the dice on this perspective. But going with the Raiders now was really the only move. And the Raiders are probably willing to do it. They'll get out of doing it when they move to Vegas. That's a that's a smart move by them. Um and they had the personalities involved. And so, you know, there'll be a lot of Mike Mayock, a ton, again, a ton of Gruden. It, it's going to be wildly entertaining. Has the potential to uh maybe even top the like the 09 Jets. Hard knocks with Rex Ryan. Rex Ryan might come back and beg somebody for a job to coach again. Maybe he could get the, uh, maybe if, uh, Brian Flores is fired, he can coach the Dolphins and get the, the, the trifecta in the AFC East. But like, he, he won't want somebody topping that performance. Um, three other pieces of interesting news, smaller news items, uh, before we get to the last one that'll sort of segue into the conversation with Lance. Again, very good discussion on, on the Texans and the NFL in general. Um, Todd Gurley said that his uh, knee injury is, quote, a small thing. No, it's not. It's a huge thing. It's a big deal. Todd Gurley, this is a huge deal. Your knee injury is a big, big problem. It's a, everyone's freaking out about it, man. It's not a small thing. Get out of here. Um, I, I don't... I don't, I'm not allowed to talk about this fantasy draft we did maybe, uh, for CBS. It's, it's, we have a magazine out. By the way, you should go buy this magazine. It's made by Beckett in partnership with CBS. Um, Jamie Eisenberg, myself, Dave Richard, Heath Cummings, um, RJ White. We all do these mock drafts and it goes into it. I've won the league two years in a row. We draft the, we drafted the league yesterday. So we draft the, we draft the, you do the draft in June for the magazine. And you have to let, like, you have to let it play out. So, like, I got Mahomes late in, late in, you know, the 11th round because I liked him, uh, early on before even OTAs were starting up. Um, I got, uh, let's see, who did I get on a bounce back last year? Two years ago, I won with Todd Gurley and, and DeAndre Hopkins. I'm trying to think who I had last year. This year, I mean, I can't tell you what the, the league is, but my team is as loaded as it's ever been. I should just draft. Whoever I take in, uh, I should like, whoever I draft in June, I should just draft this team. Like, I, th- this team is winning a title. It's unbelievable. Um, I can't tell you who it is, but I can point out that you should buy the magazine. You might like Harris Teeter or, or whatever grocery store you go to, Food Lion, whatever. Go to that magazine section. You'll find it. CBS Fantasy Football magazine. It's got a ton of great information. Like it's not going to give you more information than you would ever find, you know, without just the internet, but it supports us. So go buy that magazine. It's like six bucks. It's like a cup of coffee or a beer. It's like one 12 ounce craft beer to go at a bottle shop. So go buy that magazine. Um, I drafted, I'm going to point this out. I drafted, I think it was like the eighth or ninth round. Uh, Damian Harris, running back out of New England, rookie running back from Atlanta, from Alabama, excuse me, uh, for, for the Patriots. And the reason I did that, which pertains to the news and this tangent that I'm on, is that Sonny Michelle had, uh, knee scope. And I, th- I just think it's interesting, like the Patriots are very aggressive about backing up important positions. They do it with quarterback. They take a quarterback every year, right? They, like, somewhere between the second and fifth round. Some guy they like. 
They they take a flyer on whether it's Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, Jacoby Brissett, whatever Ryan Mallett, whatever it is. Um, they also spent a pretty early pick and surprised some people by taking Damian Harris out of Alabama. And maybe it's because they're worried that so like they've made it clear they're going to be a heavy run team, and maybe they're worried that Sony Michelle is not going to be completely healthy. He's expected to be back by training camp, so it's not a huge deal. But if he's not, I think Damian Harris, if you're doing like best ball drafts, if you're doing early uh, fantasy drafts, if you're doing rookie drafts, I'm, I'm in the league that's still drafting a rookie draft right now for Dynasty, maybe you should bump Damian Harris up your list of people. Because what if he's what if he's the Patriots starting running back for 12 games this year? That's going to be really good. I get it. James White's a problem. Rex Burkhead's a pain in the ass. But but the starting running back for the Patriots is going to do some serious damage. Uh, the Bears they cut Chris Blewett, which you know maybe um, that's like being like being named Blewett and going into football as a kicker is like being named Jeeves and just refusing to be a Butler. You can't you can't do it. You you can't be Blewett and. Go be a kicker because you're going to blow it a lot, and the jokes are there for everybody. Uh, they cut Chris Blewett, former pit kicker, by the way, ACC legend, hashtag ACC legend, and uh, the Bears are doing like some reality show. Why don't the Bears just go trade for Robbie Gold? He's there. He said that he doesn't want to play in San Francisco. Just go trade for him. The 49ers are in a tight spot with this kicker. Go give up a fourth-round pick for Robbie Gold. I know that's a lot, but if you'd had Robbie Gold in the playoffs, Chicago – you wouldn't have lost the Eagles because, I mean, maybe it gets blocked, whatever, anyway. But you just want a more reliable kicker. So maybe go trade for Robbie Gold. He wants to come back. His family's in Chicago. He's in San Francisco. Please bring Gold back. Um, and then, finally, the Patriots filed tampering charges against the Texans. This is off-season nirvana. I mean, shoot this into my veins. The New England Patriots, this doesn't happen ever in the NFL. I mean, once every like five or six years. A team files tampering charges against another team. And the Patriots did it the last time against the Jets as it related to Eric Mangini. Now they're doing it uh, against the Texans as it relates to GM candidate Nick Casario, who is the, uh, I believe, the director of pro personnel for the Patriots right now. Um, We've been talking about this a little bit. On the show, but just to catch you up. So Nick Casario has been in New England for like 11 years. Basically Bill Belichick's right hand man. The Texans fired Brian Gain last Friday afternoon. It's a shocking move. And we're talking to Lance about that. Um, the tampering thing came out after I recorded with Lance. So we don't, we don't know that that's out there. Just FYI. Um, and so, so the Patriots. Have Nick Casario, the Texans need a GM. Jack Easterby, the former Patriots chaplain, now the VP of football development for the Texans, flies back for a ring ceremony. Bill O'Brien, former Patriots offensive coordinator, doesn't fly back, but you know, he's tight with Nick Casario. And then like after the ring ceremony on Thursday night, where Jack Easterby and Nick Casario were hanging out, then on Friday, Brian Gain is fired. What a coincidence. And so now the Patriots, or now the Texans, excuse me, have an opening for a GM. The Patriots have their guy that the Texans want. And the Texans, the Patriots are accusing the Texans of basically tampering with Nick Casario. And this is going to get hairy. I mean, it's, it's sort of insider football, insider baseball stuff. You know, it's the term, I guess. But like, this is a big deal because it involves the Texans GM and who knows is like where is Nick Casario fall on the all, in all of this like does he want to go is he trying to go is he trying to uh help take down the patriot or take down the texans because he knows that if they uh, tamper with him that they'll lose draft picks it it's a very weird scenario and uh it's going to be fun to watch play out the Texans are weird in general. They have David Clowney who's not showing up. They have Brian Gain who just got fired. They have no GM. So they can't even negotiate with David Clowney, really. Let's talk about the Texans a little bit deeper in the league in general. Lance Zierlein, uh, coming up after the break. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, 
The designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars, Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. All right, joining the program now is promised from uh, the NFL media conglomerate. Uh, I think I think that's what it's called. Lance Zierling. Lance, what's up, buddy? How you doing, man? It is, and most people just say NFL Network or NFL.com, but it is technically NFL media. You're right. Yeah, I know. Um, uh, Andrew Howard has beaten it uh, into my brain, and, and Alex Reithmiller <laughs> have, have beaten it into my brain that it is, in fact, not – uh, the the NFL Network. Um, how did uh, how did your draft season go over there? I mean, I, I saw you on TV, saw you on the uh, saw you on yeah. the, the internet a lot. Feels like it was a uh, successful year all around, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's you know um, success is a relative term. I think for me, it's about hitting deadlines and and getting through uh, the busy time. And this year was a uh, busier than usual because Mike Mayock, you know, took a took a job with the Raiders. So then that kind of changed everyone's plans and Daniel Jeremiah stepped into his role and I stepped into more TV and some podcast stuff um, that, you know, that normally would have been Daniel Jeremiah. So yeah, it was, uh, it was a a busy time, but, but it was fun. And a lot of back every week I was flying from Houston to, uh, to Los Angeles and doing my radio show at five in the morning Pacific time. And uh, while still doing the TV every single day. So it was, uh, man, it was a whirlwind there for a while. Yeah, that is. That's a long season, man. So, uh, but on the good news, when, um, when DJ takes that job with the Jets, you'll be, uh, you'll be first chair up, right? Is that, or, uh, so what, so what happens when DJ takes the Jets GM job and you take the Texans GM job? Who, who is then left to run the draft stuff? Is it, is it just Bucky Brooks is alone on the stage or Charles, Bucky and Charles? I mean, what's, what happens, uh, when you guys bolt yeah. the GM jobs? I, I don't know. I think DJ could end up. I know there have been some teams interested in DJ previously. Um, and, you know, he actually had a chance to, to go to an NFL team and ended up staying with the NFL Network a few years back. So I, I don't think he's going to go to an NFL team. He's He's been there, done that. He knows the the grind it is. It's, it's funny. It's interesting you say that because I know Todd McShay's name came up. And, uh, you know, you got to be careful what you look for. And I've heard people say, oh, it's, uh, you know, people in the business have said that's a negotiating ploy, trying to get more money out of ESPN or whatever. I know this much. It is very, very hard work working for an NFL team. Uh, not only is it hard work, not only is it long hours, but the amount of stress there is, you don't really get, you know, long vacations. You don't get any any victories to, to in, in the NFL, you get a victory to celebrate for a day and then you move on to the next thing. So you're constantly on eggshells. Um, I think there's a misinterpretation or a, maybe a, a misunderstanding about what NFL life is. I know for people who haven't been involved in it at all um, or had a family member like I did involved in it, you know, it seems like it's just, it's all roses. And while it may be really cool and it would certainly be an awesome opportunity for so many people to have a chance to do that. There's a, there's a lot that goes into it when you compare the life of a guy like a Todd McShay or Daniel Jeremiah, or even me, you know, who I've got a radio show every morning and I do my, my NFL.com digital stuff. You go from there into the, the world of high stakes, 
um, high risk, relatively moderate rewards from the standpoint of, you know, your, your, how long you get tied up for. Usually it's a, it's a two year contract. It's uh it, it's a lot tougher than, than people think. And I think that the TV gigs, man, that's where the life is. I mean, TV money's pretty good. <laughs> and as long as you're a, as long as you're a hard worker, man, you, you can make good money and not have to be a massive grinder uh, like the NFL requires. So kind of a different lifestyle. I mean, the, the TV side versus the, uh, versus the team side. I'll tell you that much. No, I think you're 100% right. I, I, I saw you tweet that the other day, and I think it's a great point because, like, if you come out and pound the table as an NFL network draft analyst, um, you know, for Quinnen Williams and think he's the best right. player in the draft and he ends up being a huge bust, nobody's going to really give you crap about it. Like, you might get old takes exposed or something like that, but, you know, you're not going to get right, fired exactly. over it. But if you draft Quinton Williams number three and he's a total disaster, you might get fired. In fact, you might get fired two weeks after you draft him because of the power games going on in your building. It's not as easy as, okay, I'm a pretty good NFL analyst, a decent writer, right. someone who can make flippant jokes on Twitter. I bet I can run an NFL team. It just doesn't work like that. It's it's way different. I mean, there's an there's an accountability with ownership. There's accountability with other people in the building. Um, there's an account, and, and the bottom line is, you know, it's it's really um, it's really difficult to 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 you to st- like for example, let's just use Todd McShay not to not to pick on him. He's the name in the in the building, right? Yeah, fine. So Todd McShay's never worked for an NFL team, so if he were to step into a team like the Jets and immediately be in charge of people. I'm telling you right now, man, that is a really tough dynamic where there's been a bunch of people who put poured their lives into that work and been grinders and worked themselves up the charts. And now they're going to see, you know, well, here's a TV guy who's going to come tell me how to do my job or whatever the case may be. And that's, man, you know, the, the, the level of respect, it would be very difficult to get the respect that you want until you've earned it. And for any of us to step into a major role, like I could probably go to a team side and work as an area scout. That's not a better job than what I have right now. It's just not. And, and it's, but I respect those guys. Like I would want to, you know, I would want to at least have some connection to the building more than just knowing the GM. Like you understand what I'm saying? How you're going to step into a role where you're in charge of people and you've never even been there. It'd be like going to a restaurant and, there's all these people who have, you know, that promotes from within, and then all of a sudden they say, "Okay, you're going to be the manager over everybody." If you've had other people trying to get up to that role, it would, you know, it piss people off, and there'd be yeah. people, there'd be a lot of hard feelings. Especially when these guys have been like for the past ten years, and you know, you know, I mean, you know them because you're a draft analyst, whether you're Todd McShay or uh, Mike Mayock. Uh, you, I mean, whoever, you know, whoever it is, like, you know, these guys, cause you, you know, you worked with them, you talked to them, you know, you talked to these scouts, but at the same time, they're like, Hey, did you see where that clown McShay? And again, we're not, we're just talking a general sense here. We're not talking Tom well, right, specifically. Right, yeah, yeah. This is for my bosses who are listening. Like, why are you bashing McShay? Uh, but the, uh, <laughs> but, right. uh, but you know, they're like, you they're can like, say Zerline. Did you say Zerline? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh plausible deniability. Yeah, they're like, you see where that clown Zerline had uh had us it had us taking a wide receiver in the first round, and then they're like, oh hey Lance, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to work for you. You know, what I mean, like they look. <laughs> yeah. they, I mean, they look at they just. Oh look. no, because because that's what happens. Listen, I'll talk to team people, and and they'll bash media. You know, they they they'll bash directly to me. They'll bash media people who they don't think put the time in. Yeah. Or you know, who like, this guy doesn't know anything. He you can, he's not. You can say. State. You can say. I mean, oh, they've got strong feelings on that. Trust me when I tell you that. Oh no no no! I mean, look, I I know a very specific team. I mean, I'll say it. The Jaguars, uh, like someone high up in Jacksonville had some not-so-nice words to say to Pete Prisco about me. He's like, your boy Brinson wrote a, a Teddy Bridgewater landing spots piece and put us up there? He doesn't know anything. What is he talking about? Like, we don't – We right. don't. I mean, now, it turns out they did need Teddy Bridgewater, but that's a – you know, it's a whole different story. I right. Mean, let's – um, I could actually do – this would be a more entertaining podcast with you just talking about NFL <laughs> life than actually talking about right. the Texans. Uh, but I am curious about the Texans GM job because it is wide open. Uh, how – on a scale of 1 to 10 – how surprised were you to see um, uh, Brian Gain 
be let go given the timing and I mean where we are in the NFL season yeah. and, and all of that? I mean, was it uh, was it a sort of a shock or was it maybe something that was looming uh, there locally in Houston? No, it's a ten. Wow, it's a ten on the shock meter. I mean, there was no no one saw this coming. You were everyone thought it was really late for Mike McCagnan to be let go, even though you could have made a case for Mike McCagnan being let go. And if he had finished the draft and then be let go, I don't think that would have been a huge surprise. I kind of thought that could end up happening. Um, and then it took a little longer, and it looks a little stranger when that's the case. But, but you you know, that, that made some sense. With Brian Gain, he has had 17 months. He's had two drafts, one draft that's actually competed on the field. And in that draft, his first pick, Justin Reed looks like he's had a chance to become a Pro Bowl player as a third rounder. Yep. He didn't have a first or second rounder. And so, it, it, you know, I was immediately just thinking, well, where is this coming from? Was Did he go through OTAs and now the Texans are really upset with Titus Howard as a first rounder? But I know for a fact that Bill O'Brien and the entire building liked Titus Howard. So it wasn't that wasn't a Brian Gain move. And I don't think that, well, was it not moving up in the draft to make sure you secured Andre Dillard? That wasn't it. I think from what I've heard around the Texans, they just thought the job in totality might be too much for Brian Gain, that they thought he's good with evaluations and that's his strength on uh, the, the, the college scouting side. Uh, but that the entire job, and this is something I talked with Chris Ballard about this uh, about a week ago, about mm. what goes into being a, a general manager. And, I mean, it is just substantial. It, it, it is a substantial job with way more. You got to remember now. You got to be able to manage ownership and have a good communication line with them. Same thing with your with your coaching staff. Yep. Same thing with your players. Same thing with agents who you're dealing with in terms of you know getting deals done or or bringing street free agents in. Um, and we haven't even gotten to a lot of the you know we haven't gotten to free agency um, managing salary cap. Uh, figuring out trades and when to make them and when not to. I mean, there's so much that goes into it. And I think the Texans, from what I heard, is the belief is that it, the the whole thing may have been too big, that he's good with the evaluations, but the entirety of the job may have been too big for him. Now, it feels like it's awfully early to be able to – use there's still some learning on the job you have to yeah. do for any first-time general manager. I mean, that's normal. But then I started hearing from league people who said, hey – you know, there's a guy, Jack Easterby, who I didn't even know him, who was with the Texans now, who used to be with the Patriots, and he is very impactful over there in that building. And I guess he's a guy that's a vice president in charge of team development. And one of the things he's highly – this is secondhand. I'm hearing from other people in the league. He said he's highly intelligent. Um, he's good at reading people. He's good at evaluating. I talked to somebody who had worked with him previously who said – you know the the thing with him is he's he he kind of he kind of can make some determ he might be able to make some determinations of whether or not you are the right fit for the building and for the position and I think he may have had uh, a role in this I think Bill O'Brien likely had a role in this and I think the owner uh, Cal McNair I know the Texans are pushing that narrative hard that this is a Cal McNair decision and I think Cal McNair obviously ultimately made the decision, but I think he had some, some people helping him with that decision and in his ear. So I was just very surprised to see Bill O'Brien and Brian Gain, who we had been told by Bill O'Brien, they were in alignment. And all of a sudden that kind of seemed to break down uh, rather rapidly and whether or not Jadavion Clowney was the source for that and mm. whether or not to give him a long-term deal, what to offer him, should they have traded him? Could they have traded him during draft week? You know, there's room, all kinds of rumors flying around, so it feels kind of sudden. So, in other words, maybe the Texans look at um, what happens with the 49ers getting D Ford or the Chiefs getting Frank Clark, and they're like, uh, right. do you see what John Snyder got for Frank Clark? Why, right. why didn't you get that for today and Clowney? Because we're, we're not going to, I mean, it doesn't seem like a deal is going to happen with him. I, I know, I mean, I mean, like maybe, maybe something ends up being worked out if Clowney has some monster year. And, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if Clowney blew up in, in a contract year on, on the tag, assuming that he plays. But I mean, like, when's the last time that a bus cook, age, a bus cook client didn't get max value when they're a top tier position player? I mean, I, I just can't see a situation where, I mean, doesn't it seem hard to bridge that gap where if they are going to be a Patriots-like organization that they give to David Clowney everything he wants? Yeah, I, I, 
yeah, well, so the Patriots, let's remember this. They let Champ, they traded Chandler Jones. Yeah. They let Trey Flowers walk. They, um, they let Richard Seymour walk at oh, one tra- point. Traded they're Richard not afraid Seymour. to let some guys. Yeah. Malcolm Brown. I mean, they're not afraid to let, to, to, to get rid of those guys. And we're talking about interior and outside linemen who are pretty And I mean, and, and, uh, outside defensive linemen who are, who are all pretty good and pretty, um, pretty productive. Jadavion Clowney is a player who's not going to be a grinder necessarily from a work ethic standpoint when it comes to, you know, you, you can count on him being on the practice field every day, uh, practicing if he's a little bit banged up, he's going to work through it. That's not who he is. But he is a very impactful player, phenomenal against the run. But at the end of the day, he's never even had double-digit sacks. Right. And I think and he, and he has come off of a, you know, he's been healthy since then, relatively healthy off of the, the micro-fracture. But I think if you're the Texans, you have to decide, man, are we going to set this bar this high for a guy who's never even had double-digit sacks? I mean, hurries and pressures are nice, but you got to be able to get there some, a little bit more often. He's never really – he's still got a phenomenal inside move, but he hasn't really become highly skilled as an outside pass rusher, which, you know, the two-way go is very important, and I think that's one of the reasons why he's more of a pressure guy than a finish guy on the whole is because I don't think he's really become as skilled as he needs to since he's been in the league. And I think the Texans right now rightfully are saying, let's just keep him on a franchise and keep him for as long as we can. And then push the decision off, see if he stays healthy, see if he keeps ascending as a player and then we'll commit. But I think there might be a, there might be a concern about work ethic and work habits if they're giving him, you know, a gigantic chunk of guaranteed money. And I think they're, they're right to be a little concerned about that. But don't forget, if you're going to sign him, you also have remember that you're going to have a big deal coming up for Deshaun Watson. Yep. And that deal is going to be a minimum of $123 million where where, uh, where Wentz was. That's a minimum of 123 Well, and, that, and it depends, too, on what Patrick Mahomes, like how quickly does Mahomes get signed? Because, I mean, I'm not saying, right. I'm not saying that, I mean, I would anticipate that Watson wants at least as much or maybe more than Mahomes gets. I mean, just because of how these quarterback things work. So yeah, I mean, it's, this is not an easy thing to do. And then, you know, I mean, look, you, you've got, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with, uh, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, but I would anticipate that he's going to get paid at some point too, right? I mean, he has, I mean, I guess he has four years left on his deal, but I mean, they could end up reworking yeah, he just, deals. Yeah. Yeah. He just redid his deal, but you know, here's the thing that I've learned with today's NFL. Man, these guys go pocket watching really quick. Yeah, they do. And if somebody else gets a deal or that they think they're worthy of that, they don't care. Like Odell Beckham is a great yeah. point. It really doesn't matter if he gets a contract. As soon as someone else does, he wants another one. And I think, you know, I think what's interesting, Will, this is kind of an aside, is Jacksonville's desire to pick up that fifth-year option and, and kind of let Jalen play it out. Yeah, I think what Jacksonville's saying is, yeah, we're not going to be held hostage by a guy that we think could be a cancer in our locker room. So we'll see how you do this year. But when it's all said and done, if we need to, we'll, we'll deal you or we will let you walk. We'll play the free agent game effectively so that we will get that third-round comp- uh, you know, compensatory pick for you, and we'll move on. Because the NFL now, Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham Jr., um, potentially now uh, Jalen Ramsey – we're just starting to see a different NFL where players are becoming issues, big issues, and teams are going to have to figure out the money versus the headache and how they're going to deal with that. And I think this compensatory pick formula, there's more and more teams saying, let's see if we can deal them. If not, worst-case scenario, we get a third form. It's not great value, but at the end of the day, you also don't want to be stuck with a guy in your roster was going to hurt the chemistry in the locker room. No, that's a great point. And, you know, the other thing with Jacksonville, too, is like, look, we don't pay. Let's not pay Jalen Ramsey now. And if he has a huge year, we'll all keep our jobs and we can try to pay him next year. And, and if, and if he doesn't have a good year and the defense stinks and the team flops, uh, we're probably all getting fired anyway. So you don't, I mean, you know what I mean? Like you don't have to commit to it right now, but I think you're right. We have seen teams. I mean, hell, dude, the Steelers trading Antonio Brown. We talked about this a billion times on this podcast, but the Steelers trading Antonio Brown in the middle of that contract is is one of the crazier stories of the past five years because yeah. he's the best receiver in football, and they let him go because he was too big of a pain in the ass off you know on and off the field and in the locker room. I mean that that's that's unheard of in the Steelers organization with that kind of contract for them to eat this kind of money. It's nuts. Yeah, and they let Le'Veon sit out a whole year. Yeah, I mean, they refused to budge. So. 
I give Kevin Coleman a lot of credit for saying, look, this is our process. We're true to this concept, which is the Steelers are bigger than an individual player, and we're going to stay true to it. And, uh, you know, the Steelers have always played some hardball contractually with different players, but they'll eventually they'll, – they'll give you your money when you deserve it. But I just – you know, I, I think that it became – too big a headache and too big a hassle. And I think this is a big learning experience for them about who they want to have in their locker room as quote-unquote Steelers. So every team is going to have decisions to make. Um, I, I do think guys that are high-maintenance and the quote-unquote divas, and when I say that, I mean, look, contract stuff is contract stuff. It's not like that's brand new. I think the reaction to the contract stuff is has been exacerbated because players now have a platform uh, through social media, and I think there's a belief that the squeaky wheel, the squeakier you are, mm. you've got a much better chance to get out of there now. And Antonio Brown proved that. And so I think this is going to become a much bigger problem now with players saying, I'm going to take this in my own hands and become disruptive. And if that is the case, you know, Javion Clowney, I don't expect him to be disruptive, but he's not coming into camp right. because he doesn't have, you know, he's holding out. And we saw this with Le'Veon Bell. And I'm really wondering if Jadavion is willing to take it as deep as Le'Veon Bell did. That, that's what I'm interested in. That would be fascinating. And, I mean, Clowney's a different animal, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. As far, what do you think about this Nick Casario stuff? I, I don't know what you're hearing in Houston about it. I mean, sure, it seemed like you make connect the dots with Easterby, who, by the way, was, yeah. was the – and I, I'm not knocking Jack Easterby. He's clearly risen very quickly and been very influential. But uh, he was the team chaplain and, like, the culture guy in, in New England, and which is very interesting right. to all of a sudden be, like, the VP of football development for the Texans. Um, but you have Easterby. You got Bill O'Brien, both good friends with Nick Casario. Um, do you, what, what percent chance do you think it is that Nick Casario takes that job? And, and, and frankly, should he take that job? Um, I think there's a good chance that if, if he's allowed to interview for that job, which I don't know how the Patriots can block it, to be honest with you. Right. Uh, I guess they didn't allow him last time because he was in the playoffs. But right now, I think he – I don't know how this works. The Texans have asked for permission, but this is a move to general manager. And I know the argument would be made that despite his title, he actually has that same kind of a similar position – but if he interviews with the Texans, I think it's a done deal. And I, I'm not sure. It's hard not to connect the dots and say that the Texans' decision to let Brian Gain go was, you know, was was somehow connected to the Texans believing they had a legitimate shot at getting uh, Casario. I think that's a reasonable, a reasonable assertion to make relative to Easterby being at the ring ceremony recently with uh, Nick Casario working with the Patriots, Bill O'Brien having a relationship with them. Uh, they, they asked to interview him when they hired Brian Gain and they were turned down. So I think that's a very reasonable, uh, it's a very reasonable um, assertion that the Texans made this decision with Brian Gain because they believe they have a very good chance of hiring Nick Casario. And if that's the case, I think that he will make the decision to come down. And I think it would be – he's turned down other opportunities, I know, in the past. But I think when you look at a young quarterback in Deshaun Watson, yep. um, a young wide receiver in, in, in DeAndre Hopkins, and then, you know, some of the ancillary pieces, Justin Reed, that are coming in. J.J.'s getting older. Bernard McKinney is a rock-solid player. I think there's enough on the Texans roster uh, to get excited enough about. There's still work to be done. I think the big concern right here is – Bill O'Brien has had a difficult time with now two general managers, apparently. I mm. never thought that would gain, but I guess now it's starting to look like it. I knew it with Rick Smith, but that was to be expected. They were not the same kind of guy. I mean, I understood that. I expected that. But now it looks like it kind of went sideways with, with Brian Gain. And so now if you're, if you're the general manager, you've got to be thinking, well, I want my tenure to be separate from Bill O'Brien. I don't want to be connected to whatever happens in a single season. But I think the general manager, the next GM of the Houston Texans, is actually a very safe job because right now they're paying two general managers, Rick Smith and Brian Gain, and they're getting ready to pay a third general manager. So they will have three GMs on the books that they're paying. They're not getting rid of this GM anytime <laughs> soon. They don't want to be known as, a, as an organization in complete disarray. So I think whoever gets this GM job is going to be 
fairly safe uh, and mutually exclusive from what Bill O'Brien ends up doing with this team. Yeah, I mean, it, that's a good point. You you can't pay four GMs. You can pay three GMs at least oh, for a little while. You can't right. you can't go four. It's uh, it's like the six minute abs thing. I so I, I and I think you're right too because if with all these dots and like Casari because the the implication at least that I as, as far as I understand it is that if the te- if the Patriots attempt to say they cannot hire him as in Nick Casario, there will be a a, a battle so to speak that involves the commissioner basically making a, de- a decision, and then it's either going to be he stays has to stay with the Patriots and it's really awkward, or he is allowed to go to the Texans and maybe the uh, the Texans have to compensate the Patriots. Whatever it is, it does feel like Nick Casario must be letting somebody know. That he is interested in the job if he, if they are gonna make, make this push, because otherwise, like, why would, he would just be like, I don't want to do that. What are you doing? Back, you know, leave, leave me alone, Bill O'Brien. Um, is, is, right. is Bill O'Brien a good coach? We asked this the other day, and I'm just curious what you think. I think he is a good coach. Uh, I do. I think that there are, you know, when you ask a question like that, to me, that's a, it's not a loaded question, but it was, it's a layered it was, question. It was, I think it was, the answer has to be layered. Yeah. It was a loaded, yeah, it was mean, a loaded, layered it, question. I'll admit. Yeah, I mean, that's what it was. It, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, there are layers to, is he a good coach? I believe that Bill O'Brien, uh, in my estimation, is a good NFL coach. Now, I think there are some stipulations here, and I think there are some, um, there are some, some bullet points that have to be extracted in terms of strengths and weaknesses. I'll go to my NFL, you know, draft profiles basically here with the strengths <laughs> and weaknesses. And I think that when you when I say that, I think he understands how to game plan. I think he understands how the game should be played and how you attack other teams. I think the philosophy of it all is right out there and, and you know, waiting to be um, discovered by the teams once he gets or by the team, once he gets everything settled the way he wants to get it settled, I still think Deshaun Watson is a work in progress for the offense that he runs, wants to run. With that said, you know, I think there have been some unusual decisions with short yardage stuff around the goal line, short yardage runs in general, um, how he's utilized Deshaun Watson. I think in total, he's a good coach on the field, but then there are moments where you just say, man, why were you not ready for this challenge right here? Why didn't you do this? Or why didn't you do that? Or what was he thinking on this? I think once you get, once you start adding everything up, once you get through everything, every piece of the puzzle, you start to say, okay, he's a good coach, but he's not a great coach. And there's no, and, and plenty of good coaches have been fired and they've been fired quickly. So just because I tell you he's a good coach, that doesn't mean that he has, to me, any kind of, safety he's won division titles three in the last four years yep. that's undeniable um he did have a long win streak last year as well and his teams don't typically quit on him and i think that's very very important and i know that he's a highly intelligent coach i'm not worried about that i think he understands how to game plan and how to play chess against other teams but it's just not consistent the yeah. the, the production is just not consistent and my radio partner john granado brings this up all the time who are the really good quarterbacks he's beaten? You know, who have you beaten? Who are the good quarterbacks? Because the quarterbacks are the chess masters, ultimately. Some offense coordinators are, but the really good quarterbacks are chess masters. Give me all the wins he has against the really good quarterbacks in the league since he's been with the Texans uh, starting in 2014. And it's a really, really, really short list, and that is a concern. Are the Texans and Bill O'Brien lamb killers who struggle once they get up against um, the average size bully on the block, and and right now the answer would be yes. I mean, we've seen that, and they're they're two failings against the Colts at the end of the year tend to prove that. Yeah, and I think when you look at their win streak last year, I mean, like they you know they slaughtered the Dolphins on Thursday Night Football, right? And uh, yeah, they beat up on the Redskins, or they they snuck past the Redskins, I guess. They you know they took out the Titans. They did take care of business against the Browns, but that's still a rookie quarterback. Um, they beat the, you know, the Jets, a rookie quarterback. I, I think you're right. I mean, they, they thumped the Jaguars at the end of the season. Like, congratulations. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're picking on, you're picking on kindergartners here. I, I, I do, I, I agree with you. I think it was a great answer because I, I think that he is a, 
I think that he does that his win total makes you have to think this guy can, you know, he's done it with Brock Osweiler. He's done it with Brian Hoyer. He's done it with Deshaun Watson. I think the one concern I have is, and you mentioned this, so kudos to you for the segue is that Deshaun Watson had to ride a freaking bus to a, to a game in Jacksonville right. last year because he's so banged up and his coach is running with the goal line. Which, so I guess that gets me to the burning question for, for 2019 for the Jaguar, or for the, for the Texans. Can they protect Deshaun Watson enough to keep him healthy and keep him on the field? Yeah, I, um, that's, and I don't know that that answer, I don't know that that gets solved. I don't know that that's being solved now. And I don't know. Here's the problem. It's a twofold, it's a twofold issue. One is that your talent is just not in place right now. And it, it led the Texans to be sitting ducks right there with their, uh, 20, what was it? I think 24? Six pick. Yeah. Whatever it was in the draft, they were sitting ducks. Yeah. I think it's 20, 23, I think maybe. I think they were yeah, 23, sitting ducks 23. because everybody, and especially Philadelphia, who had targeted Andre Dillard, everyone knew the Texans had to take a left tackle. They knew it wasn't a good enough cornerback draft to take a corner there. Everyone knew the Texans were desperate at a particular position, left tackle. And so Philadelphia knew exactly where they needed to trade up and pick off Andre Dillard. They knew exactly where they needed to go. And the Texans were in that rare position where they were sitting ducks in the first round. That's because Brian Gain wasn't given a first or second round draft pick last year, so he couldn't address it that position last year. And so now you have Titus Howard who's a rookie from Alabama State who's competing for the left tackle spot. He may not even win it. He's competing for it. And that's a tremendous step up in competition regardless. Then you have uh, the right tackle spot with, you know, Chantrell Henderson who's played seven, eight games in three years. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that doesn't make you feel very comfortable about the situation. you got an interior offensive line that is spotty at best. And so, yeah, that's a that's a big concern for Deshaun Watson. But the other problem is Deshaun Watson still holds on to the ball way too long. Mm. He doesn't make quick reads and get rid of it. So now you're combining a guy who doesn't have a feel, an internal clock to, to work in rhythm and get rid of the ball, and you have an offensive line that is going to be shaky at best in coverage. It's a bad combination. So Bill O'Brien is going to have to do everything he can as a play caller to manage – the timing of the passing game and getting the ball out. And he may have to change what he wants to do just to help Deshaun protect Deshaun with, you know, with throwing quicker uh, routes, throwing quicker throws, maybe really preaching first option for Deshaun or short option or getting through reads quicker, whatever it is. But, but it's going to have to be a team effort. And Deshaun is part of that. I mean, every quarterback is part of protecting himself and, he hasn't done enough, and the Texans won't say that publicly because they don't, you know, they want to protect quarterback, and I get that, but they know, and they'll say it privately. And and but the other problem is it's not good enough up front. <laughs> the talent's not good enough up front, and it couldn't be fixed in one draft this year. It was not going to be fixed. That was obvious to me, especially since you had giant holes at cornerback as well. So next year you go to the draft. Guess what? You have. You may have another hole at tackle. We'll see because you also drafted Max Sharping uh, in this year's draft. So you have two rookie tackles, but you definitely will have to address cornerback again next year. So I'm just I'm not sure that this offensive line is going to quickly ascend to a level where people say they are one of the top 12 offensive lines in football. I don't think that's going to happen for at least a couple of years. I think the personnel is just not on the roster to, to make that claim in, in the short term. Yeah. Anytime you, anytime you're one of your off season transactions is signing Matt Khalil for an important depth piece. Yeah. You, you may, uh, you may be in trouble on the offensive line. All right. I'll get you out of the, out of here on this. The uh, Texans over under, I believe is eight and a half wins, which is kind of low for a team that, that, you know, just has one season under nine wins under Bill O'Brien. But, but here we are. It's a tough schedule. Uh, do you think that they win nine or more games? And um, who, who do you think takes down the division if you had to pick right now? Oh, man, I still think Jacksonville is going to be awfully tough. Do you really? And I know that was a, just a – yeah, I think it was a cancer-ridden team last year. You, you had a running back who wasn't happy and team wasn't happy with Fournette. Jalen Ramsey's complaining every step of the way. You had Fowler and Ngakwe that didn't like each other before Fowler was eventually dealt. I've heard Ngakwe can be a little bit of an issue there in that locker room for them. I heard that from a, from a league source. So, 
um, at least especially in comparison with some of the other guys in the locker room. And, you know, on a night, I heard Calais Campbell really doesn't have the juice in that locker room, which I was hoping for from a leadership Ooh. standpoint. So now, you know, now, but, but despite all that, they got talent. And now they have a quarterback. And I think Leonard Fournette, if he's going to be healthy and get it together and take that next step as a pro, this year will be the year they've got some offensive linemen and they should be able to, you know, run the ball and protect the quarterback a little bit. They should be healthier up front. They're, they're adding some pieces at wide receiver. I think Jacksonville could jump back into that spot where they were just two years ago and become a force in the division if, they, if, the, if the chemistry is good enough in the locker room. If not, I know the Colts are a hot pick right now, but the Colts are also going to be targeted. They're not, no one's sleeping on the Colts anymore. Yep. So I think this job is going to be harder. Texans is going to be tough. Their division, first of all, the division I think is going to be tougher when you add up all the pieces. And then their schedule's a challenge. It's a real challenge. And they've got one of those trips to London, and we'll see how they respond to that. You've got some chaos on the team right now in the offseason, and we'll see what that means, you know. And you've got a defensive end who is an important player who's not going to be showing up at camp, and who knows, may go into the season deciding he doesn't want to play. And they lost Duke Edge for for the year with an Achilles tear in, uh, in OTAs. So the replacement for Jadavion Clowney, he's not there. So I, I don't, I don't, you know, the Texans to me, I'd be tempted well to play that under. Mm. I, I, I went there with you. I took, uh, under on Houston. I'm sort of a sucker for the Titans for some reason. I, I don't really know why. Um, but, uh, but I, I think, I think this is the Colts here. I think I actually got them at plus money, plus 120 to win the division. Although your points on Jacksonville do, do scare me a little. Like if that defense bounces back, they're going to be a major problem. Um, all right. I've taken up too much of your time, Lance. You're the man for doing this. I appreciate it. Uh, everyone should follow Lance on Twitter. It's Lance Airline on Twitter. Uh, listen to him 97.5 in, uh, in Houston. And of course, watch him on all NFL media properties. Thanks again, man. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it, Will. All right, buddy.